Hey guys, it's 8 Nobody. Before we start today's episode, just take a second to talk about our sponsor, Sinister Jerky, and you can find that at www.sinisterjerky.com. They have all sorts of flavors from Carnage Asada, OG, the Pickle, which is made with dill flavoring, Cracked Pepper, Mango Habanero, and Sriracha Smoke. All these flavors are amazing. I've tried them all personally, and I cannot recommend them enough. Use code KINGDOM at checkout. For a 10% discount, that code is KINGDOM, K-I-N-G-D-O-M. All right, guys, we'll catch you after the episode. All right, welcome back to Castle Comps. Today, we have a unique perspective. Today, we have somebody that not only plays games, but they also run tournaments. And I'm talking Tarkov tournaments. Now, I know what you're thinking. How does one run a Tarkov tournament? What does a Tarkov tournament consist of? That we'll figure out today. Today we got the one, the only gamer. Gamer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, it's no problem. Thanks for being here on this beautiful Saturday. So before we get into the whole world of Tarkov and tournaments, let's find out how you got there. So let's start with gaming history. Where did you start with gaming? All right. So I'm, I guess what you call an old school gamer because I grew up on NES and Atari and Sega Genesis. Nice. So the beginning of my like interest in the gaming was Mario and Zelda, things like that. So there wasn't really a shooter involved. In uh, you were more like a story RPG player? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Zelda, the uh, Ocarina of Time, was one of my all-time favorite games. Such a great the open series. World feel. Like, right. There's so many things about that game that I, I still wonder about today, like... Why, were there no adults in this world to stand up to Ganondorf? Why are two kids having to, like, fuck with him, you know? Like, does nobody else see that he's a complete asshole? Yeah, I mean, if you look at all the characters, they were pretty oblivious, though, right? That is true. That is very true. Zora seemed like they knew what was going on, those little fish people, but, I mean, at the same time, their princess got eaten by a big fish they were keeping in their backyard, so... How with it yeah, were no they doubt. truly? No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and those those rock people, I forget their names, like, they, they're the eating rocks. Yeah, and they're throwing bombs at each other. You're right, everyone was kind of in their own shit. It makes me wonder if there was, like, some, like, drug in that game that, you know, Zelda, I mean, that Link didn't know about that everyone was just on. Right, right. So on that game, did you ever get super sidetracked fishing? Um, absolutely. I mean, you always had to get the biggest fish in. Yeah, I, 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 I like to fish in real life, but I never thought that'd be something I would enjoy in a game. And then I found myself I, logging hours and hours fishing for like rubles and fish. Like I, it was a very strange experience. But then I played bass fish. I was like, this sucks. But something about the in-game Zelda fishing made it for me. I I absolutely agree. I'm sure I put tons of hours on Zelda just so- fishing, and I never played any of those other games. So. Right? So what was your favorite iteration of the Zelda series? Was it the NES? Was it Ocarina? Was it Majora's Mask? Was it with the new ones like Wind Waker? Like, what was your favorite one? Ocarina, I'm, I'm like, absolutely no no competition with any of the other Zeldas. Now, did you Not find... on NES and stuff too, but 64 was just that. I mean, once we got into the 3D world, that was... I was just captivated by it. Right. So did you have to write down all the songs you had to play, like Sarah's song and all that, or did you have them memorized? You know, I can't think of the exact sequence right now, but I'm pretty sure if you put a controller in my hand, I'd, I'd still be able to play it. 
right? I think it was side up side, or was that? I'm trying to remember. It's like there's certain. <laughs> I told, my memory is doesn't work in like pictures like that, but it works in like action. You know what I mean? It's like those people who can't remember their clock and code at work, but when you put like a keypad in front of them, the muscle memory takes over. Exactly. Exactly. It's like I data dumped calculus, but I remember how to play Sarah's song. Goddamn it. Oh man! Yeah, I've, I've heard all you know all the remixes, the dubstep remixes, and all that, and you know it's super nostalgic. I guess right? I probably listened to a few hours of that too. It just clicks into that part of your brain that just takes you back to a time when ska music was on the radio and everyone right. was happy. You know. So, what was your favorite like console growing up? Like, I know the Zelda and the N64, but, like, was there a certain console that stood out for you? And what do you think the most underrated console during the console age was? I mean, I got to say N64 on both of those. Not to yeah. say there wasn't some extreme limitations, but I just really enjoyed using the joystick to be able to look around and then the C buttons to move around. You know, with GoldenEye, I think it was... Oh man, I can't remember the name of the control, but it was the one where you're, you know, you'd use the the C buttons for your your forward, backward, and strafe, and that right. was just game changing, and that just always stuck with me. And then it ever was... since then, it was just I I wanted to, you know, get into that more advanced control style. Right. It was so uh, cool that controller too, because it was shaped like no other controller at the time. Because before that, we just had these boxy iterations. Like, yeah, the PS controller, you know, had the little wings, but it was still kind of boxy. That was like the first, like, what is this M shape, you know? Right. And then you know, now we have Nintendo Wii and stuff like that, where you can actually like move and all that. Did you partake in the Nintendo Wii series, or did you go to PC around that period? Actually, I I just went to PC for Tarkov, so I'm completely new to PC, other than, like, you know, maybe playing WoW, like, you know, 15 years ago or something. So how how hard was it for you to make that transition from controller to mouse and keyboard? It was a nightmare, and we all know how hard Tarkov is, so learning to, to transition on Tarkov was, it was kind of being thrown in the deep end. I was going to say, if Tarkov, well, you know, WoW, obviously, but Tarkov being your first shooter on that like, you know, on that platform, that's definitely a jump. So how many wipes of Tarkov have you, would you say you've played in? I'm on my fourth right now, but I'm I'm very busy. So as far as hours, I'm not sure my hours, but not as many as most people that have been on for four wipes. Right. And what would you say your favorite map was when you were getting started? I'd say Shoreline. Shoreline, okay. There's a lot of mixed feelings of Shoreline. It feels like a lot of people I talk to either love Shoreline greatly or despise it with every fiber of their being. So what about Shoreline talks to you? Like, what about Shoreline do you enjoy? All right, so now it's completely different than it was in the beginning. Now I'm a resorts main. Like, I just want to go to resort. I want to get the fight. I want to get the athletics. I want to get the GPU. Uh, When I first started out, it was when I was learning that you had to extract... The, the, actually, the first few games I played as a scav, and I didn't actually know you could extract like as soon as you got to the extract. So I thought you had to wait till it turned red. So right. sadly, I extract camped a ton of people accidentally. I mean, but, you didn't know any better. It's okay. No, I I totally didn't. And I got a bunch of messages, and I was just like, man, this game is toxic. But, you know, now obviously I realize why. But um, 
<laughs> in the beginning, it was it was just a really chill map to be able to go around the outside and not get into a fight. And the extracts are always around the outside, so it was super easy to find them and navigate the map. Right. It's just you know every map has some growing pains and getting to learn like customs. It takes you a little while to figure out how that funnel where all the players are pushed works. Reserve is so right. o- I mean reserve um, shoreline is so open. You know you have a lot of potential movement you have a good sniper potential like there's a lot there's something for everybody on shoreline and if you're willing to take those fights inside the resort like the loot can be amazing yeah i think it's one of the better maps for loot right now so do you prefer to go in during the day or during the night with the cold um i'm mostly mostly daytime on all maps but oh actually i take that back interchange it doesn't really matter right yeah, you, you're totally right on that because the light's on and then once you turn the power, it's it's just a dark map no matter what inside exactly. interchange. Like, Killa could just be anywhere. You just have to look for those little Adidas stripes in the night. Yeah, usually I, I don't even get a chance to see that before it kills me. Yeah, you just hear him call out and then just, you know, head eyes done. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe a red tracer. How long did it take for you to you know, play the game before you discovered the world of tournaments? Like, did you play in tournaments? Did you watch tournaments on, like, Twitch? Like, what got you into the that world? So, there's, I mean, it's it's pretty simple there, actually, because I, I was watching some of the, the bigger tournaments, and I just realized that it's some of the same names and some of the bigger guys, and so I wanted to create something that that let the the more unknown streamers, which was, you know, the people that I hung out with and knew that I knew were amazing players and had great potential, but they just weren't being seen. They weren't being brought in on some of those because of, you know, there's word of mouth. You got to get yourself out there and they haven't yet. So maybe they weren't noticed for that. Right. Or maybe it just was a ratings thing. I'm not sure, you know. Right. Some of them, it's hard to know. It's hard to know if they're looking for like viewer numbers, if they're doing the artesian builds thing where they're like, you don't have enough of a following. (laughs) You're not welcome to this tournament. (laughs) Right. So we wanted to create something that's, that doesn't do that that's making sure that we're pulling people that don't have those numbers so we actually have a kind of a cap which isn't written in stone but we basically don't want anybody that has a lot of views and a lot of viewer count right. at the time so so what is that cap set at or is that classified information um you know like i said it, it's not it's not, i don't want to set it as a cap because as we get more and more people in it kind of varies but Typically, I don't really want people over about 50 viewers on average. So I'm trying to help people get the partner. Right. Yeah, you're so trying to help that people push. That are under that partner. Yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're at 55, that's not going to be right. an absolute no. You know what I'm saying? There's just no, not totally. a concrete number. That's a cool way to do it because that way you're you're setting that precedent. So you're like, hey, this is for that those people that you know didn't get to go to the big time tournaments like this is a great stage for them to you know step up get seen get noticed and maybe you know one day get to those bigger tournaments or maybe get noticed by like a team of asian or one of those bigger like organizations so that's really cool right. That you're, right you're doing that so and a lot of people it's their first tournament so it's a good interaction for them to learn kind of how it works right so and, with- and we kind of have our own way so it's it's you know, I guess to each each tournament is probably very different, but oh, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure some tournaments you have like certain rules. Be like, okay, th- this is the map pool, or like this is the gun restriction, or do you not do that? Is it more of a free for all with like what you do with said tournament? We try to keep it as open as we can, but we do adjust for the 
time that we are in the wipe because a lot of these players that we bring in don't necessarily have you know 500 million rubles to be spending true and so we try to keep it where if we're very early in the wipe we limit the armor a little bit there's not much gun restrictions except for the ks and the the gl right that's cool that it's not like strictly labs overpowered because nobody right, can right. afford that many labs cards that are early in the wipe. A later wipe you see more labs get get brought into the tournament so right that's awesome so when you do these things how is scoring done is it based off of kills is it based off of loot is it like based off of extracts like how how do you score your tournaments on an average because i know sometimes you're going to have like tournaments that are scored differently than others but what's the general go by yeah so it it definitely changes a little bit each time and and these are these are monthly tournaments so it's, it happens a lot and it's very you know we're as soon as we're done with one we're already putting out stuff for the next one and so the 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 scoring system really we have it on a very basic style that stays the same that way it's it's easy not only for us to keep you know putting the next one out but also for people to understand right so for the most part it's it's based on pvp with this this term we plan on doing other terms but this tournament alone is based just strictly on pvp so we really don't want much rng in it so the scoring system is based almost completely on kills okay okay that's a good way to do it because you know certain maps are going to have certain drops like having it based solely on kills is going to spread the love a little bit more now do you have a limit like you can only play x amount of maps like you know like 10 maps 20 maps 30 maps or is it just how many maps you can get in during the time frame allotted so so we do three rounds which we don't we don't eliminate anybody there's no elimination because the goal here is to put these people on the big screen as much as possible right and get them some some views so we don't want to do like where some people get eliminated and you know how it is you can have a bad raid in Tarkov sometimes you can have oh, a whole bad day a bad week so we wanted to have a chance for people to redeem themselves too in the next rounds so oh, 100% each round has a time slot that's that changes slightly depending on what map a bigger map we get a little bit more time and then they can run as many raids as they can in that time slot and then they pick the top three maps or the top three games so are scav boss kills worth more points yeah, so so the the point system typically is scavs are one point, raiders one point, rogues one point, guards one point, bosses three, and then PMCs are five. So we're really wanting people to push for the PMC, and we realize though the bosses are harder, so we put a little extra there. That's kind of the only real RNG that's involved in the in the scoring system. Right. Is, you know, if you're lucky enough to get the boss there. So with the release, well, with the leak of the three new rogue bosses and lighthouse. Do you feel like Lighthouse is going to be a much more traveler location for these tournaments? You know, I I really have had a lot of people ask me not to put Lighthouse in just because of the quality of the map at the time. Right. And how it runs because, you know, as you know, depending on your PC and internet and everything, this, this game can be very different experience for people. Exactly. And Lighthouse has quite a few issues, so... That's one of those things about brand new maps. You know, it's going to take them a little while to, like, work out the kinks. Like, when we get Streets of Tarkov, I'm sure that's going to take a wipe, maybe a wipe and a half for them to, like, completely make that perfect for everybody. Absolutely, especially with the size of just how many people. Yeah, that's... Just the rendering of Big Pipe alone is probably going to be too much for the average person's PC. They're just going to get an error message like, this pipe is too big, I'm sorry. Oh, man, and if he dumps that launcher, 
Dude, that launcher scares me. I can't imagine somebody like looting that launcher and taking that to a factory. It's just yeah, gonna I'm, be I'm utter chaos. Don't make it lootable. I, I mean, I think it's a, a little much. The GL is already tough. I have a six round like you know street sweeper style. Just a big yeah, noob tube. It's gonna be right. incredibly crazy. But that was cool that Nikita just put out. Well, he responded to somebody on that Twitter feed that knights skull face is going to be lootable yeah i did see that that's going to be I'm pretty not cool on that stuff but I, I mean hey it's cool it's it's part of the game you know personally i want bird eyes drug rug i want that sweater so much so i actually just bought it on amazon if you type in drug rug into amazon his sweater pops up <laughs> wow I know, right? Hey, somebody, somebody's making some money. Oh, definitely. 100% they are. They're always making money. I'm sure the sales of Tashanka alone have come out, have gone up essentially since I've General Sam put out that video. I've used Golden Star myself. It actually, it's great stuff, and it will definitely make your uh, your eyes. I have some Golden Star right next to me. It works way better than Icy Hot. Just don't put it on your lips because <laughs> it feels scary. Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't tried that, but I'll take your word for it. It's it's strong stuff though. Yeah, my coworker loves Tarkov, so I I got I got some Aliankas. I put Alianka and some Red Star. I mean Gold Star in his box, and I put a note that said Prapor found your shit. <laughs> nice. Oh man, it's fucking funny. So with all these new things that have been introduced in this wipe, is there anything that you love? Is there anything you hate? Because I know some people are really not happy with. You know, certain things like the movement, the ergo, the airdrops, the VoIP. I haven't really heard too many negative things about VoIP, but what is your favorite new iteration in this wipe? I'd, I'd say my favorite, and this is a very unpopular opinion, but I'd say my favorite is definitely the inertia. I love the inertia as well because it just makes sense. Like, I was in the military. Like, I've had a lot of shit in my bag. And you know what? When you go from a prone position and you stand up when you were carrying that much shit, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't hit your face on the floor, right? Right. It's, right. it's not easy. It's like, what do you mean I'm not Usain Bolt when I'm carrying these car batteries and a fucking, you right. know, two rifles? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Especially when your character's me, not full, like, stats. Tarkov, really, it was about that hardcore shooter. I came from Call of Duty. And back in the days, Modern Warfare 2, Hardcore Search and Destroy was my game. And so yeah. I was really into that that hardcore side. And this just, moving over to PC, I didn't know about Arma. I didn't know about PUBG. You know what I mean? It was, I didn't even know there was so many options. Or I would have been on PC a long time ago. But right. once I made that swap over, it was, Tarkov was the first thing I put on the PC. And I basically never turned back. So Arma's its whole other, like, can of worms. Like, I didn't even know there were people who played, like, Milsim RP, like, you know, RP servers exactly. like they did with GTA. Like, I was trolling around, and I saw some dudes like, I'm Private Jenkins, like, full-in character, wearing, like, you know, Army surplus fatigues as he's on stream. I was like, oh, this guy's committed. Right, right. And it's, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a whole bunch of us out there that want that. Now, I me, mean, I don't want it to that extreme, but I definitely want the, the realism. So you're not an Edward Norton type actor. You don't have to get into character. You don't mop like every floor in your house and eat an MRE and be like, I'm Private Jenkins, and then jump into the game. I mean, I think it would be fun. I don't know if I have the patience or the time, but right. <laughs> it seems like it would take a while to like, you know. 
to channel your inner RP server. Right. Yeah. Streaming takes enough time already. Like, do you imagine the build? Oh, not only does streaming take a lot of time, but tournaments take a lot of time. So from the whole process, from like first, you know, making the tournament, making the flyer, getting your team together, getting your mods together, getting people in, like if you had to ballpark the amount of man hours it takes from initial concept to final development and product out, you know, after said tournament is completed, how many man hours would you say go into that? Including the tournament itself, I would say it's probably a solid 40 hours. See, that's that's like a full-time week at a job. Like, that's that's an insane amount of time. And when you're well, already you a busy too, person. I'm, I'm horrible at editing and stuff. This is the thing where I'm, I'm learning all these things as we go. So as I say it's 40 hours, I'm thinking in, in probably six months, it's still going to be 40 hours, but it's going to be a lot more impressive, a lot more editing, a lot more videos, a lot more scenes are going to be, you know what I mean, dialed right. in and looking good for the same amount of time. Exactly. So You'll just me, have it more refined. Right, right. Yeah, I'm really slow on uh, Photoshop and things. So, Well, like, I don't know what your background with all that stuff was, but like the, doing these tournaments, this is your first iteration to that stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. This is all new to me. So you're learning it as you go. Exactly. So are you using like YouTube or using like, you know, friends or using anybody like that to like, like, you know, teach you certain things or is it just purely like I'm going to hit this, I'm going to run at this wall and I'm going to figure stuff out? I, you know, I do everything that way. Uh, I've always done that from my, my drywall business to gaming, everything. I just, I have right in and figure it out. And if I get really stuck, I've, I've definitely in, you know, in this tournament process, I've looked up many YouTube videos. But typically, I try to do it myself first, which is not always the, the most efficient way, but it's definitely like the way I operate. Right now, I I utilize YouTube for all sorts of stuff. Like when my garbage disposal breaks and I don't know how to fix it, I just go to the wonderful YouTube. I call it the Dad Never Taught Me How to Do This channel. Right. See, I'm the guy that'll have it broken into a thousand pieces and then forget how it went back together, then go to the YouTube. And I have to try to figure it out after. So I can relate to that fully. So when you stream, do you stream these tournaments? I do. I do. So what is the process? Do you have like your camera on you and then you just pull up each individual person's stream and then like cast that as you go? Or what, what is the process for that? So so that has been the process. So this is actually what's going to be really fun about the next tournament. Is, is like this is a learning experience, and we're we're going as we go, you know, and we're learning as we go, and we're growing. So the next one, I'm actually going to have a stream deck. And I'm going to have all the scenes set up with the the uh, source code for each each person's channel already put in. So each scene is going to be way way better looking. So it's not going to have like the browser border around it and things as it has in the past. Because before we've just pulled up a bunch of tabs and click through and, and comment it as we go. Right. And so so now it's going to be a lot a lot better looking, but it just, you know, it's, it's taken me a long time to learn how to do that. So. so with the color commentary during somebody's gameplay, like, do you find that that is difficult? Do you find that you have, like, you know, finding that balance of, like, you know, breaking down gameplay with banter to the audience, like... Do you find it's difficult to manage that, or is it something that comes naturally to you? 
Typically, um, it, it definitely is something that in the beginning it's a little tougher, and as it gets going, it gets easier through the tournament. Um, one of the hardest parts of that is, like, talking with the co-host about gameplay and things is great. I try not to actually engage the audience as much so that it's we're, you know, focused on what's going on. So we're kind of doing the show and everybody's watching rather than being as interactive as my normal streams would be. Right. Um, when because it comes you already to have so much to juggle. Gameplay, Right. It's a, yeah, that day is like, it's hectic. It's like run, 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 run. And then we sit down and I'm, I'm literally sweating and just like, everything's going crazy. We're talking to mods. Like my wife is actually sitting next to me when we do these tournaments and she's in the mod channel so she can relay things to me, right. you know, in, in real time next to me and let me know like, Hey, this is going on or go check out this guy, what he's doing. And see, so that's, a, it's, it's a lot. It's complicated. But you're the center of a command center. Like, not only are you engaged in what is happening on the screen in front of you, but you're also juggling things behind the scenes. Like, you're you're talking to mods. You're dealing with any potential question a participant might have that they send you through a DM. Like, you know, there's a lot of things in the air. Be like, oh, my God, someone's audio is like, you know, something happened. Let me go try to fix that real quick. Right. Like, there's probably a million things coming at you at once, and it's just finding that balance and that, you know, serenity in the chaos that probably takes a while. Like, would you say how many tournaments would it take for you to get that comfortability? Or is that comfortability never really there? Is it just something you get used to but not really comfortable? Like, what would you say? I'm definitely getting more comfortable. I think the next the next few is I really iron out some of the technical issues like we were just talking about. Having like the stream deck and, and scenes pre-set up, it's going to mean more legwork, but it's going to mean a much smoother operating system. And, and not only am I doing these things too, but my mod team is amazing and they're taking care of things in the background and, and they have just, they, they're growing too. You know what I mean? They're understanding oh, how to do it and everything's getting so streamlined that, you know, and I think another few more. And we're going to really have it dialed where we want it to be. Like what we just touched on, like, yeah, there'll still be this many man hours. And just those man hours will be better, you know, so utilized. Yep. Yeah, because you right. guys are learning your craft. And that's that's one of the hardest things when you pick up anything, whether it be just talking on a mic to, you know, dealing with mechanical issues on the fly and having to take care of that, you know, like, you know, a timely manner. There's all sorts right. of stuff that's super, super daunting and stressful when you start. But, you know, after you get that, that, you know, that confidence and that comfortability, like it becomes a smoother process. Right. So would you say yeah, that and, each tournament runs right. smoother than the last? Yes, Absolutely. Um, each one has had their own technical issues that have happened during or, you know, before. And, and we've kind of, you know, we're learning how to, how to handle these things. And, and what each time we have a, we have a list, each one of us has a list next to us, of just a pen and pad and we take notes. And so everybody at the end of it, all the mods and myself, we all get together, the co-host, everybody, and we discuss what happened. What could we do different? What nice. do we need to improve on? And so that's why, like I said, a few more, we're really we're getting now to where the details that we're earning out are really just aesthetic for the most part. Like the yeah. background of how everything operates is, is starting to get dialed in. You just answered my next question. I was going to ask if you have like an after action report after each like tournament to like, you know, see what you can approve upon, what went good, what went not so good, you know? So that's cool right. that you guys are utilizing that. So how many people would you say are on your mod team? Like, I'm sure it varies every now and again because, you know, life gets in the way, things come up. But, like, if you had to ballpark, how many people would you say are on your mod team for a tournament? Oh, the, the main team for the tournament consists of about six people. 
behind the scenes. And then we have other, you know, friends and, and mods that are helping monitor players and let us know, like, hey, this person's having a problem, and they're chatting with the mo with the uh, competitors. Right. But typically, the the main team behind the scenes is about six people. So, this mod team are these people that you met through the community? Are these people you met? Like, you know, in real life, are these people that just came together because they love Tarkov and it's a labor of love? Like, how did you meet these people? Or is it a mixture? I, w I would say mostly that team itself. Like, not, not everybody that's involved. A lot of people just come in from the community to help out. But for the most part, my main team behind the scenes consists of, I wouldn't call them, like, you know, friends from games and much as so much as some of them I did meet through game, but I would call them family and friends because there's definitely a few of my sons involved, my wife's involved. And then the other guys that are helping out, I mean, we've been gaming together for so long that we're friends. Many of them I've met in real life, and so we're a pretty tight group. That's super cool. And I'm sure as a father, having your, you know, your, your, your kids involved, I'm sure that's kind of like a source of pride. Like, you see your kid do something or fix something. That was just like, I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm sure that's like kind of like validating, like, wow, that's super cool. Yeah, that last tournament, actually, my, my head mod, it was his birthday on the tournament. And so he wasn't available, and he was the guy that really held things together. So we were all kind of nervous, and my oldest son took the place there, and he just he rocked it. He did a great job. Nice. See, that's awesome. So when it comes to these tournaments, like I'm sure the prizes vary for tournaments, but what kind of prizes like are usually allotted for the person who wins second, third, things like that? So usually, it's first place is a hundred dollars cash, um, and ten gifted subs. Second place is 10 gifted subs, and then third place is five gifted subs. And that's not very much, but we do one of these a month, and this all comes out of my pocket. So, oh, so this is a free tournament. This isn't, you don't take any kind of like money from the participants. Absolutely not. No, no, no. And it'll never be that way. If we ever do anything more than it coming out of my pocket, it's going to be due to sponsors and things, not due to a pool or anything like that that we pull from the competitors. There's right. no pay to win here. So, this is purely and for. Like, you know, you're giving your time, you're putting your mm -hmm. own money, you're getting the exposure, you're subbing, so, you know, you, people will go there and, like, oh, you know, get subbed to the channel, so it helps them grow. So this is all about growth within the community. Yeah, it's definitely, it's all about showing people that the, the small streamers out there, I mean, you know how streaming is. Streaming is, it's got a lot of things that go in. It's got personality, it's got right. skill, and then it's also got that chance factor right you know did you shake the right hand did you network enough did you did you get exposed and so we can help with all of those we can help show people's personality we can help show their skill and we can you know help give them that chance to be seen right so That's this is just a win on every single level for somebody who's a small time or like not not crazy established you know this is this is a great opportunity I, I hope so. That's that's what we're trying to do. And and so back to the prize thing, though. The the special thing about this tournament, though, is this is a monthly tournament that we're doing through the year. Right. And at the end of the year, we're going to do a final showdown where all of the first place people, so not only do they win the money there, which isn't much, but not only do they win that and get the respect from it, but they get to come back at the end of the year to fight each other. So we're going to bring all the first place guys. That is super to make cool. It a really big deal, yeah. So how long have you been running these tournaments? Uh, we're going on, on number five right now. Number so five. it's been roughly seven months, though, because the first few, we didn't stick to the one a month. And so, you know, as... Well, you know, things come up. Once we start getting things figured out. 
Yeah, and it was it was hard. It's it's really hard too to to have a turnover this fast because I'm literally coming off of one, one tournament. Right. And this, you know, life gets in the way. I, I totally feel that. Like, for example, this podcast, I try to put out one a week. Now, there's nothing, there's nobody out there, you know, there's no boss I have, like, pointing his finger, like, you have to do this. It's just a self, like, put thing where it's like, I want to put one out a week. And those I'm goals are sometimes hard. Put in applications. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah totally. for a full minute there. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was just saying, like, for, for like, my show, like, I, I try to put one out a week. There's nobody out there telling me I have to do that thing. It's just it's a self-imposed timeline. So that can be Absolutely. difficult for me to hit, and I hold myself super accountable, and I get angry at myself when I can't do that. So when it comes to your tournaments, is it kind of the same way, like, when you can't put one out, like, in a month when there's a little bit of time gap in between that? Do you, do you kind of get mad at yourself? Do you kind of hold yourself a little bit more accountable than you should? Absolutely. I, it's it's really I'm I'm probably my own worst enemy all the way around because I really do strive to not only do I strive to push myself to be better and if I yeah, if I feel like I didn't I'm hard on myself but like I said if I if I don't get that timeline I really do get hard on myself and and but it, it also pushes me to fix the problems that were there that made that happen that way exactly it's weird because I talk to I've talked to a lot of streamers I've talked to people who are in the art world and it seems like that is the most consistent thing is they're hypercritical of their own products. Like I'm sure you watch your tournaments back to make sure how it looks on the stream and you're like, God, I hate the way I sound or, Oh, this could be better. You're just nitpicking every little thing. Absolutely. I'm going to cringe when I listen to this. I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, you think that's bad when I edit these and I have to go over certain things multiple times. It's like, Oh my God, I sound like such a douche. Why did I say things like that? Right, right. Just hypercritical, just beating yourself up. That's just one of those things about, you know, making content. Like, I'm sure even the big guys who put stuff out, like when an Aqua FPS or when, uh, you know, Omid or somebody who puts out something, I bet they watch it back and they're like, oh, God, <laughs> why did I wear that shirt today or something weird? Yeah, I think the people that, that really push a ton of content, they're either having somebody else do it or they're just really good at blocking that out. Right, right. Or they pay somebody to edit it so they don't have to right. look at it. Like, yeah, I just made it. I never watched it back. Right. I guess that's how you know you've made it when you don't have to edit your stuff or look back at it. Yeah, and that's that's like I said, just learning all this stuff. I have I have six hundred hours of bike riding videos that I haven't edited yet because it's just not only the same reason we were talking about about being critical of yourself, but just I'm so slow at that because I haven't learned all the shortcuts and the tricks, you know? And there's just so much. And I'm sure it's, it gets daunting. Like, when I have a backlog of episodes, like, I have three episodes I have to edit and put out. It, like, it looks like a mountain, you know? It's just like, ugh. Right. You, like, almost dread it, and you put it off, and you, like, procrastinate. And then the next thing you know, you're playing, like, Project Zomboid for two hours. And you're like, what, what am I doing? Right. And in family life and work life, too, it's it's hard to find the time. and. Oh, you know how it is. You feel like if you stop streaming one day, everybody leaves. And finally, I've I've just said, you know what? Streaming's got to take a back seat so that I can edit and get the YouTube and things figured out. But exactly, you have to set priorities. Like right. you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to stream every day, even if that's what you used to do. Right. And if your community goes somewhere else, yeah, I mean, it, it goes somewhere else. See, that's the weird thing about streaming is it's like a TV show. I mean, if you play one game and then you switch, or if you have one set schedule and you switch, there's no guarantee your community is going to go with you. 
It's like, you know, if CNN decided one day they were going to be SNL. <laughs> like, the people who go there for, like, news might not want to stick around for their version of SNL. It's uh, right. one of those things where it, you build a community and then you have to get past that fear of losing it because I've talked to people who feel stuck. Like, they want to play something else, but they don't want to lose their numbers. And that seems like it's almost, like, negative to a point so that's cool that you're at that point where you're just like look this is what i do and this is important but i have things that are way more important and i'm not going to you know jeopardize those other things to you know maintain said thing because those people hopefully will come back right and i've I've been pleasantly surprised i mean numbers you know we're we're getting to a point where i was like i was feeling really confident and good and then took some time off and you know it kind of went down but then i realized the people that were still there were i mean it just made my community closer you know what i mean no totally just really showed like these are the people that actually you know want to be here the real one content and so yeah and so it was it was it was positive in its own way right and i know if you turn those numbers off and get that out of your head you can see those things you know what i mean totally see everything is a learning experience if you allow it to be whether it be positive or negative you can walk away from anything with a little bit of knowledge and that's cool that Absolutely. that's the approach that seems like you're taking with that. So with everything going on in the world, I know we just came pretty much off the pandemic, still going on, but not as bad as it was. And now with the gas prices going up crazy, do you, have you noticed a spike in your numbers because of, um, you know, said economic things going on? You know, I've, I've never really thought about it from that perspective. I mean, definitely the pandemic itself, not only did it, motivate me to stream more but i know that you know twitch has been you know a lot more active because of it not not only in viewers but in content creators as well but lately i mean i i've been honestly so busy irl that it's it's been hard to it's been an afterthought hard to look at that stuff yeah totally like it's definitely with everything going on in an adult life, especially somebody who has kids, who works a full-time job, and you own a business on top of that, and you run all these tournaments, like, I'm sure days feel very short at times, so, you know, to sit and ponder, like, the what-ifs, that time probably gets cut down. I had to pull the numbers out of things, because, you know, it's not like I don't know them, and I don't see them, but I had to stop watching them, you know what I mean? totally, totally, that makes complete sense. So, Getting back into w- doing a tournament, like when you do your when you do your show and you have the co-host, is it the same co-host every time, or do you switch co-hosts up? I switch co-hosts. Uh, the same concept as for the competitors. I want to have other people, you know, get a spot to to get some. I can't think of the word. I'm Exposure. Thinking. Exposure. Yes, thank you. And and a lot of the time so far, it's it's been friends. So these are people that I've played with, I'm close with, I've co-streamed with. Right. So that's probably the best way to do it. It's been really comfortable. Yeah. But I mean, in the future, I want to bring in more people too. So I'm always interested if somebody wants to to come in and and host with me, just let me know. So, yeah, because when you get people who you might not know personally or you haven't played with before, like everybody has their own tempo when it comes to talking. Like everybody has their own cues. Like some people pause for longer periods than others. So it takes a little while to like, you know, get your conversation to meld because I'm sure the last thing 
you want to do is like you know talk over each other step on each other like good example is the conversation we're having right now like we've never really had a conversation except for the pre-talk we had yesterday about doing the show and it takes a little while to find out how said person talks you know what i mean and when you're on a stage where you're being like you know you're commenting on something it's (laughs) trying to find that cube like oh this is where you know my co-hosts should like put something in or are they waiting for me to put something in? Like it takes a while to find that balance, that chemistry. Yep. And, and honestly, we've kind of just winged it. And that's part of the things that we we're starting to structure too, is, you know, the next few times you're going to see that I'm going to have certain roles, whereas the co-host is going to have certain roles. So we're both going to have things that we, we do so that we're not stepping on each other. That, just trying to make it work better together. No, totally. Like that's that's part of the production value, and that's the cool thing about doing that is not only do you learn how to like you know better communicate with your co-host, but I'm sure you've learned a lot about yourself by doing this project. Absolutely. It's crazy because like I don't know exactly how old you are, but like being somebody who's 33, I find that like once you think you you know yourself. And then you do something like that and you step out of your comfort zone. You're like, wow, I didn't know I was like that at all. Like, you, it's crazy to be past a certain point in your life and think you know everything about yourself to be surprised like that. Yeah, this is the whole, the streaming from the beginning of streaming has been out of my comfort zone. So I'm just not the speak in front of people type. And it's been a big change for me. It's definitely shown me a lot of things about myself. Would you say you're more introverted? You know, I'm I'm literally dead down the center. Okay. I'm introvert and extrovert, so it's it's in my business that was actually what was always a good quality is because I could go out and talk to people and get the work and and impress people and have confidence, but at the same time I could keep to myself and keep busy and work hard. So right, you have that ability to do that, but if you like aren't put in that position to do that, you wouldn't like, you know, like reach out for it. Like those people who like have to be the center of attention, like, you know, extreme extroverts and things like that. Right. So that's a good, that's a good balance to have. Like, it's crazy when you talk to streamers who like, you know, on their stream, they seem like the most extroverted person ever. And then when you talk to them one-on-one, you're like, wow, you really don't like talking to other people. You're like, the stream is your comfort zone because you're interacting with text. There's no other voice and there's no face on the other side. So that's it's an interesting concept when you start talking to people in these in these communities and you're like, oh wow, like you're completely different on stream. So that's cool right. that you're like right down the middle. You're you're the median. Yeah, it's 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 kind of made made it like I said. It's I can be extrovert when I need to be, and it's also you know I can kind of stay focused in my thing too. So when you were on the cast do you feel pressure to be funny do you feel pressure to you know have like crazy good insight or game sense do you feel any of those outside pressures to be a certain way um yeah absolutely i I definitely you know i want to i want people to enjoy the show and there's that part of you know where you're always kind of you know like we said being critical of ourselves so always thinking like how can i do this and and i try not to i try really try to not overthink it and just do my thing and and let it flow naturally but you definitely you definitely want to uh you know keep people engaged and things and when it comes to like talking to people about the game i actually love to teach people about tarkov so if anybody comes in and asks me about the game i just that's where i fit right in and i just start telling them everything i know right 
So when you when you were casting or when you're playing, is there a gun in particular that you love using and you love watching people use, or is it one of those things where it doesn't matter what gun the person has if they're skilled, they'll make it work? You know, I I coming from the hardcore side and just wanting that part of shooters, I really enjoy stepping out of my comfort zone when it comes to weapons personally. So I like to vary it. I do have my favorites. I'm big on like the MP5 Ooh. when it comes to like going factory. Great gun. Also the 590. I'm big on the SR25 and going to interchange. I mean, MDR. I mean, I have favorites myself, but I do like to branch out. When it comes to watching other people play, I absolutely love to see people branching out. Like the more that I see people using an interesting gun that I don't use much or, you know, you don't see people use much, just I absolutely love it. Right. And so the, the MP5 between the guns. Did you learn that you? Oh no, it's okay. Did you learn that you love the MP5 through that mechanic build where he makes you make that like you know that drum MP5, or was the love of the MP5 found without mechanic? Uh, you know the love of the MP5 came in the beginning of the game when I didn't know how to really ruble farm, even when we could you know use the market to sell anything you fucking wanted, and it was great, and we were all rich. Yeah, I really found that. MP5 was easy. I could buy one. I could trade the knives for it and go into factory and I could farm kits. Right. So, so that's really where that came from. And so typically, even to this day, I don't do much to the MP5. I just use it as it is. Do you have any feelings about impact grenades? Do you feel like they should stay in the game? Do you feel like they're too strong as they currently are? Like, what is your thought on impacts? So, this I have actually a really strong feeling about. Again, an, an unpopular opinion. I like them. And I'm not a GL fan. So, But the new mechanic where you have to, which is another thing that I really like, is how you have to pull out the grenade before you can throw it. Yes. I do I like that, that you can't spam them anymore because that was annoying. Oh, man, I got so many nade kills when you could do that. The F1s, I love them because they throw so far and you could just chunk so many of them. You know, I'd have be the guy with a backpack with 20 nades in it. So if Big Pipe has impact grenades that he can throw into that six-shooter. Is that game-breaking? Uh, like I said, I'm not a fan of the GLs. I, I'm not a guy that wants RPGs and GLs in it. Not that it's not got the realism, but I think it's just it's really unbalancing. Right. No, it definitely feels that somebody's going to go into Lighthouse with like a team of three and Big Pipe's going to one-tap the entire group. Like I, I'm, I'm waiting for those videos to come out. I kind of hope and, that them being rogues, I kind of hope that they just randomly show up on every map. That'd be that'd be an interesting concept. You just never know when you're going to run into them. Right. Make like, people play a lot more slow and tactical. Exactly. Like Imagine being on reserve and like the train shows up and then all those three bastards jump out of the train. You're like, oh my god, no. Yeah, I'm just trying that, to extract. You give me nightmares, man. Like, you know how there's the airdrop? Imagine if those fuckers parachuted, like, parachuted out. And you think you're running up to an airdrop and you run up on night. Now, that's a, that's, I actually, I like that concept, though. The airdrops, if they were protected. See, what I would really like is, uh, you know the airdrop. I wish that when you see the plane, before it drops its care package, I wish they would introduce a flare gun into the game. That you could shoot up into the air. And that would 
have the plane redirect towards that flare to drop the airdrop. Now I saw I saw a video. What was now I'm not I've been very busy, so this last little the few podcasts and things that have come out recently, I haven't had as much engagement in and haven't been following as closely. So I did see a video of an airdrop being dropped after a flare gun was shot. Was that a meme because it was on uh April Fools or was that a I don't know, video? but I saw that video too and <laughs> I kinda loved that because just because you shoot that flare, there might be somebody else who shoots a flare. So it's like you, you're giving away your position. It's a high risk, high reward concept. Like what's up? What's there? What, there's somebody like 10 feet away from you that didn't know you were there. And then you, they see this huge like thing shoot up. Like I think the high risk and high reward of Tarkov, I feel like the flare would fit in very well. So I actually, I had a discussion after that video with somebody and had the idea. What if the, flare gun instead of you know because if you could just buy a flare gun off the market even if it was extremely expensive and shoot it in game i mean that's kind of op you're going to see that used every single game so what if flare gun was only found in raid or let's say it's on a boss so you got to kill the boss get the flare gun go out and shoot it and then you can call on the airdrop i would like that very much like you could put it on like okay so not to get too into the weeds like i know there's people that when these raid bosses came these rogue bosses came out they were circling and pointing and all this crazy stuff the bird eye has little glow sticks. Like, mm-hmm. and night has a smoke grenade. So, you know, instead of a flare, maybe you pop like a special colored smoke and that will help the airdrop go a certain way. But a flare gun seems like something that could easily be put into anybody. Hell, maybe have it even be like a Jaeger thing or maybe the new dealer on Lighthouse, the Gordon's Fisherman. Like, I could totally see one of those guys having something like like a beacon or a smoke or a flare gun, something that could help that concept. Mm-hmm. So, what is your take on the new trader at Lighthouse, the Gordon's Fisherman? Because, you know, in the background they saw that, like, the Colty-looking dude, and I've heard people say that, as a rumor, he's going to be a trader, in-game trader during the day, like, you have to find him on Lighthouse, and at night he's going to be a cultist boss running around Lighthouse. Like, do you have any feelings about that in the in-game trader aspect? Um, you know, I, I honestly, I have a lot of feelings about it, but it's all just my own speculations and how it would work. And I, I'd, I'd like to see how they pull it off because, right, I can't think of a way that it fits with how Tarkov is right now. In the in-game, yeah, I could see it, but right now, it's just. Like, what's stopping somebody from just running in there and shooting him? I I wonder if, like, you if you walk into his building, if your gun just immediately gets holstered and then it's like a, you know, like, the, the safe space. Like, I can't shoot anybody while I'm in here, but, like, the second I leave, it's it's game on. And if and so, people are just going to... kind of an issue. Right? And then if that's the way it's going to be, then you know people are just going to camp, like, outside the doorway. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, the second you walk out, you're just going to get, like, clapped. You know, same thing with an airdrop. Like, you know, you run up on there, there's going to be some dude with an RSAS or some guy with a scoped weapon that's just waiting for you to run up and, like, you know, check it. But that's in, an, in a random location, whereas this is going to be in a... In a, a, a set hard game. location, exactly. Right. So it, there's a lot of cool things that I am looking forward to. I'm just not sure how it's going to be incorporated. But when it comes right. to, like, small fixes, is there, like, a quality of life thing you would like to see in the game? Is there, like, something, like a, like a hideout pet or anything like that that you would like to see just from, like, a fun quality of life standpoint? Yeah, I have two things that are absolute 
I want them fixed in the game. And I try, I, all right, so I really love what Tarkov is. So I try not to, to comment and say this too much and say like, this needs to be fixed or that needs to be fixed. Cause I'm right. here because I like the game that they're making. So I want them to, to do what I want. I want them to do what they're doing. Cause I'm already here because of that. Right. But there is two things. One being, I want a mantle. I want to be able to hobble over something if I'm tired or, you know, even if you like roll over it and you kind of fall down, have to get back up or something. Cause you know, we've all run across on um, interchange and you run up to the, the fence and you're, you're tired. So right. you got to stand there and like stare at the fence and you're just, it's awkward. 30 seconds. You're just chilling out in the middle of the open and you know, you can time it right. You can get around that, but I would love to be able to climb over something. I would love that too. And so the second thing is a quality of life thing when it comes to the stash. And we all, I think we can all agree here. I want to lock items in, in my stash and then be able to sort and then not move those items. I think that would be, <laughs> that would be amazing. And I, I don't think that'd be too hard of a, like a fix. Like I've, I've and, heard the same thing voiced throughout some of these interviews and it seems so, like something so simple. It's kind of surprising it hasn't happened yet. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I'm like, it's a little detail. So that one, I don't mind really voicing that one because it's not a, it's not a game changing thing. It's just a, right. We spend so much time in our stash thing. playing Tetris and, and I'm the worst. I'm a pack rat, man. I've got, I've got crap. I don't need my stash. It's just, it's don't look at it. Don't look. What do you mean? You're not going to need those nine tosses. Exactly. Well, I'm not that bad. Okay, that's that's a little extreme. But <laughs> that's a little extreme. I got so, a few diaper rigs. I'll tell you that though. Oh, you know. I mean, who doesn't? So my thing is, I would really like to see more handheld weapon extracts. Like you know, you have the Red Raider extract on reserve. I personally want to see a crowbar extract somewhere. Like you know, you have to like force something open. I would yeah. love to see the Tagilla sledgehammer become a melee weapon and also, you know, an extractable thing. I would love to see the the shovel, the E-tool. I'd love to have, like, a no backpack extract where you have to, like, dig under a fence and it's going to take, like, 20 seconds or some shit. I, I agree, and when I look at the type of melee weapons that they've already introduced in the game, I, I think that's a thing. All right? yeah, I think that's it feels like it's heading. It's going to happen. Right, the crowbar is the first giveaway because I've talked about that with people before about having an extract out of factory, where you pry one of the doors open instead of it being a key. Right, that would be cool. So, my next question: If you could have a drink with any in-game Tarkov trader or anyone that's about to be introduced in the game, which one would it be? Uh, I'd be Jaeger because I got issues with him. Wants to pick. <laughs> I'm also a survivalist type, so I, I mean. I think I'd vibe the most with him. I was going to ask, would this uh, this conversation and drink turn hostile very quickly? Or would it be more of a, like, why are you such a dick, bro? I mean, I, I think the, the, the common ground between the survivalist side of things, I think it would go well, but at the same time, I'm pretty mad. It's like, why'd you make me eat that whole jar of mayonnaise and sit in a bush for five minutes, you dick? I broke my I legs. I have issues with him, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so which one of the scav bosses or rogue bosses is about to be introduced in game would you like to have a drink with? Um, you know, I I, I forget his name, the I. What's his name? Oh, say that something again. I. Is something it something I? The, the guy with the sniper. 
Oh, Hawkeye. Or no, no, sorry, Hawkeye. Bird Eye, Bird Eye. Bird Eye, okay, yeah. I was I'm thinking sure Marvel Bird Universe Eye. for some reason. I love sniping, and so I think, uh, you know, again, it'd be the person I'd be vibing with. Right. I'm just curious how they're going to play those guys in game. Are they going to be, like, individual bosses, or are they going to roll up in a squad of three? Like Rashal and the boys, but, like, you know, on meth. Yeah, I think they're they're their loadout plus the the background i mean this is all the speculation stuff but their background i really think that if they are all there together they're not going to be together they're going to be in separate spaces because that, they're because just they have radio equipment like you notice you have that they have the antennas so they'll probably coordinate with each other but i don't think they'll be in the same spot mhm that and they all have the same like seal esque logo of a trident and a skull like birds has it on his hand uh Pipe has it on his beanie, and I think Knight has it on a patch on his rig. So they're all part of the same unit, and they're, they were all wearing Navy Type 3 camouflage pants, or at least two of them are, and then they're wearing very similar camo, so they're definitely from, you know, the America or some Western, you know, nation, so they all have the same unit insignia, so, I mean, technically they could all run together, or they could be separate. I'm just curious to see how they play that. Me too, me too. And I definitely, I haven't played much Lighthouse. This is, I've been the most absent on this wipe just because of IRL. Right, right. So well, things, things really get in the way. I'm excited to get into Lighthouse, you know, and, and learn the map more. Totally. Same. <laughs> this wipe, it's, it's weird because, like, I played, this is my technical third wipe, but it's really only my second because the first wipe I was in, I, I liked, I loved the game, but I just didn't have enough time to play it. The last wipe, the game just didn't agree with my computer. Like, anytime I tried to run it, I would just continually get kicked and freeze, and just it was just not a fun experience. This wipe has been great. Like, I've had absolutely no computer problems this wipe. It's just, I'm a, I'm a weird dude, and I just really want to get into the next wipe. So I keep getting to, like, level 25, and then I just reset my, my entire profile because I'm, I'm trying to set myself up to do a hardcore run but, you know, slightly modified. And I just want to see the best way to, like, get that started. But I know it, once I get that, like, you know, synced in, the game's going to be completely different the next wipe. So it's like all that stuff I was working on is just going to be like, well, re re rework it. That's the thing about being a no, perfectionist I mean, is it sucks. And, and redoing all those first, like, quests, though, make it where you can really jam to, like, level 30 really fast. Like, right. days to weeks just in that first... That first month for sure you're gonna get really far and when it comes to hardcore i absolutely love playing hardcore usually i do i've actually last wipe i got to like 36 on the hardcore count and it was way way better to me it's a better way of playing tarkov and it's it's super fun for me i don't know if it's for everybody but oh it's definitely you know. it's it's challenging and it's definitely frustrating so when absolutely. you're doing a hardcore wipe what item do you hate deleting the most man everything <laughs> uh, yeah. everything when you're when you're on hardcore you just man you want to hold on to everything and that's really it didn't help with my you know clutter in my in my main account either because it just it sets that into the, your mindset you know especially when it comes to weapon parts because oh, i don't yeah. remember all the weapon parts for all the gunsmiths and having to find those is is really complicated the thing i absolutely hate destroying during a hardcore run is the grizzly because it sucks so much when you have no medical 
and you get hit, and you're just slowly bleeding to death, and you're like, if I just had one bandage, or if I just had one tourniquet, I would be okay, but I don't have any of that shit. It's, you're going to find, if, if you haven't found this yet, Woods is your friend when it comes to a hardcore run. Oh, definitely, because you have all that natural cover. You have places to hide. Like, I, I enjoy Woods for the hardcore. I used to hate Woods as a new player because it's like, if you don't know where you're at, if you don't have a second monitor up, and if you don't have that stuff, it's super easy to get lost. It's super easy to get turned around. It's super easy to run into a minefield when you're at USEC camp if you don't know where you're going. You know, it's just one of those things where you, you learn that as you go. But as a new new person, like two wipes ago, oh my god, I hated Woods with a passion. Right. And it's for me, it's it's the weapons parts, the medical stuff, and you can also find guns in crates. So it's, so it's what, easy to avoid people too. What gun, when you find it in a hardcore run, when you pick it up, like, you know, low level, low tier gun that most people, when they get past level like 10, don't care about. Like, what gun do you find off a of scab body where you're just like, we have a run, boys, we're going to make it? Like, do you have a weapon like that? I, absolutely. I would say the SKS and the Hunter. Oh, Those I love the SKS. Two that I love because they bo- both use low amount of ammo, semi auto, which is what I love on hardcore because ammo is hard to come by. I love the semi autos. But I'm a bolt-action guy at heart. Like, I love bolt-action weapons. The Mosin, when you're doing a hardcore run and you kill a sniper Mosin, oh my god, it's, it's, that's my moment of, like, we got this. We can, we can do some damage now. SKS yeah, is a very close second. I just despise the SKS reload animation. It's just like, no, stop, why are you taking so long? It's like... I always forget how many damn bullets are in that gun until your person's like pulling that slide back and throwing them in there. It's like the stakes forever, and it makes so much noise. But it's it's how you save on ammo too, though. Oh, hundred percent. When you find BP on hardcore, and you're just like, "Oh my god, I gotta get out with this!" Like you know, seventeen rounds of BP. That's when I hear the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory song from the original one. Like, da 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 It's like, run home, Mike. Run home and don't stop until you get there. That's what I love about hardcore, though. It's that you've got to get out with it. I've even found sometimes on my main account, I'll, like, leave my GPU in my backpack and things like that just to make it more fun. And then if someone kills me, they get it, you know? That and the thing I love about hardcore is every loot, like, opportunity is exciting. It's just like, oh, I found something. Like, you know, like you find a cabinet and it's just like, I need everything. <laughs> so everything I find is amazing. Like I was saying, like it makes every loot experience so much more gratifying, especially when you find shitty bags that you normally would just overpass. It's like, this bed bag is godsend, you know? It just, it, it makes you fall in love with the game in a completely different way, which is funny because if you've never run a hardcore run and you're thinking about it, it just seems like it'd be the complete opposite. It makes you feel like you would hate the game. Yeah, def- it gives importance to things that you don't know are important in the game. Like that uh, that car manual that you need for the, I think it's a trade for one of the parts for the uh, the MP5 that you have to do for Gunsmith. Right, right. And just then later on for like the library. That. Like things you normally wouldn't right. trade, things you normally wouldn't do. Like crafts you wouldn't normally like participate in. Like you find yourself making them. Like, oh yeah, blue powder for shitty bullets. Like when you have nothing, mm-hmm. it's like, yes, take it. Right. So when you do a hardcore run, do you actually 
do you cut yourself off from the traders? Because I know some people do. Some people, their version of a hardcore run is like, you can only do the barter. It's like, you can't purchase anything except for like the multi-tool from mechanic because you can't find that anywhere. Like, do you cut yourself off from the traders or are the traders open for business for you? I do. And I, I also try to find the multi-tool just to show how, like, I try to take it as serious as I can, but I haven't found it when I needed it. I ended up, I didn't, like, I set myself to, like, I'm going to try 20 runs on woods to see if I can find it. If I don't, then I'll buy it. Right. It's it's but a rough one that, to find. It's arguably harder to find a multi-tool than it is to get the Red Rebel. Yeah, they're, I'd say they're, I've had them both about the same. Right. So, getting into our like we're getting close to our time limit you know we try to keep it between an hour hour and a half so for somebody who loves a game streams runs tournaments what advice would you give for somebody who's brand new into the platform who wants to go live for the first time for a regular stream okay is this for for tarkov or just for streaming in general? oh just for streaming in general but if you want to direct it towards tarkov that's totally cool no i'm for for streaming in general i would say I mean, if, if you've never went live and you're not experienced with it, it's just take it slow and don't beat yourself up. Like we were talking about earlier, the over-criticizing yourself is just making it, it's going to make it hard for you. Make oh. sure to, you know, get some goals, some small goals. Don't like, hey, you know, I'm going to have 10,000 viewers in a month. Just work on small things and grow those things. And then people will see you and they'll, they'll come in and over time you'll get more comfortable and so will your viewers. Yeah, like obtainable goals. Like affiliate is set at a spot where that's a very obtainable goal. So that's a great way to like, you know, that's a great first like benchmark. Be like, I'm going to go live that many days for that much hours and I'm going to try to stride towards affiliate. So, you know, obtainable goals. Because, you know, if you set yourself up for like the 10,000 people like you just mentioned, like more often than not, you're going to be faced with failure unless you know you're just one of those like diamond in the rough people who gets found and raided by like someone huge and like things just work out yeah you know there is like we talked about there's some rng and and streaming you know right. you got a bit that random chance to to get viewed sometimes can put you on the map and exactly never get that it's just like tarkov you know sometimes you'll open up a bag and find a gas analyzer you just never know when that's right. gonna happen but it, it does happen like have you played Cycle Frontier at all? Um, I did the first time it came around, and I have it this time. I, I haven't even turned it on this time because it's oh, it's just not my style. Yeah, it's, ca- the, it's kind the of the diet. Cor- it's kind of like the Diet Coke of Tarkov. Like it does have right. the climbing aspect, but the movement is more parkoury. So I would love to see the climbing aspect iterated into Tarkov. I'm hoping that the 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 release of Cycle when it's fully released because it's in the beta, I hope that pushes Tarkov's hand to put in the climbing aspect of, you know, putting your weapon over your shoulder and actually bounding up. Because just jumping at things, I, I don't like that. Right. So, uh, this is your moment. You can thank whoever you'd like. You can talk about any upcoming events. You can talk about sponsors. Like, now is your moment. You're, you have the floor to say whatever you would like to say. All right. Well, um, first off, thank you for having me here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's not a problem. And, um, the tournament is is something that we've started, and I'm on my myself as a streamer. I'm going to be moving away from Tarkov. I'm still going to stream it, 
and I'm still going to do the tournament, absolutely. But as far as my streams, it's going to be going more into the IRL streams and motorcycle rides. I have a uh, a dream to do the Pan American Highway, and so in the next five years, I'm I'm working towards that, and I'm hopefully going to you know stream and put the whole thing across YouTube and Twitch. So nice. If you if you're into motorcycles and endurance runs and long distance rides and IRL type streams, then definitely definitely stay in tune that like how I said, long the tournament, that's does that solid thing so. pan-american trip usually take uh it can take months man it's it depends on how hardcore you want to take it um i have a lot of back problems so for me it's probably going to take probably three months right because i just don't want to push the long hours Oh no, there's no need to. Like you should, like you you know you have a pre-existing medical thing, so why jeopardize that, you know? Right. Lower right. back just, is, you know, yeah. You don't want to get burned out. So. Right. I'm sure there's people who make that trip wearing diapers and go like way hard. But, you know, there's there's no reason to do that if you don't have to. Yeah, there was a guy in the in the 80s that went through, I don't know if you know what the Darien Gap is. I do not. So, between Panama and Colombia, there's there's basically a, a strip of land that is controlled by like local guerrilla and militant groups. It's really, really crazy place. You know, the whole cocaine Columbia sounds stuff a little there. sketchy, right? So in the eighties, there was a guy that he did it on a, on an enduro bike and he actually took a machete and chopped his way through this jungle. Cause there's no roads through there and dragged his bike literally up and down mountains the whole way through. So there's definitely been some pretty, Pretty hardcore people do this trip, you know. That's Me, pretty intense. I think I might, I might hike it if I can, if you know, as long as the area isn't too hot. But I'm definitely not dragging a bike through there. Yeah, that sounds like a hey, this was a fun adventure. To like, this is this is grueling work. Right. Sorry so, to cut so you off. So let's get that, yeah. As far as that goes, um, here in uh, it should be in June. I'm going to be taking a trip across the United States. I have a sport bike that I ride around, and you guys can see me stream a lot with riding that thing around and just going places and having fun. Um, but this is going to be the first serious trip. It's going to be a series of about five or six large trips like this that are basically my warm ups to the main trip. So mid June we'll, we'll be we'll be making that trip. It's going to be on Highway 80 all the way across the United States from East Coast to West Coast. And we're gonna stream the whole thing. We're gonna get the the streamer backpack and all that, and all the cameras. We've already got a lot of the equipment and been testing and just toying around with things. So it's exciting. That sounds like it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Like, what is the longest ride that you've accomplished so far? Um, well, that ride is is about if you just look at the straight from one side to the other, it's about twenty five hundred miles. So that's about three thousand miles each way. So that's gonna be about six thousand miles. That's so intense. far. I've got a ton of seat time but my longest consecutive trip is about 2000 miles and that's there and back so this is this is going to be a huge jump three times that yep gnarly okay so what advice would you give for the person who's thinking about running tournaments um absolutely i mean i didn't do research and i wanted it that way but I would say to anybody coming in, do research, learn about the back end of it, because I now have tournaments that I put that I wish the quality was better right off the bat. Um, and there is a, there's a lot more work than you think, and there's a lot of interaction with people that you 
don't expect because as you know this with doing interviews everybody has a different personality and so oh yes vibing with those personalities can be complicated so just give yourself a time to communicate with everyone and get things ironed out totally. whereas we do this monthly thing and it's it's hectic it's hectic but you love it i do i do but that doesn't mean that I, there's not better ways to do it, though. You know what I mean? All right. But it's, Everyone has their own definition way. of that. Like, finding what your definition of perfect is and what your definition of, like, the chaos that you can handle compared to the chaos that you can't handle, that's probably huge right. in that. Right. Perfect. So, sorry to keep cutting you off. You're just bringing up so many interesting things. I have to interject. So, if there's anybody you'd like to thank, or if there's any sponsors you would like to thank, if there's anything else like you'd like to say, now's your time. Um, you know, I'm a family man, so much thanks to to my wife and to my kids. They've not only my wife, my kids also are supporters of the stream, and they help me with stuff. They're mods too, so it's it, it's a really a family thing, and I'm very appreciative mm -hmm. of that. And of course, letting me have the time to play video games, <laughs> you know what I mean, and ride motorcycles. My wife's been really amazing. So, and then uh. My mod team, Tommy, you are amazing. Thanks so much, brother. Blackbird, Destroyer, you guys are top of the shelf, man. I couldn't have better people around me. And as far as sponsors, I mean, come talk to me. I'm, I'm still, I'm still needing some of those, especially for this bike trip. So, hopefully, that'll be shoutouts in the future. Totally. Well, I would like to personally thank you for not only coming on the show, but for giving such a stage for people that are new, upcoming, undiscovered. Like, there's not a lot of opportunities on Twitch to get discovered unless, you know, you pay money or if you just, you know, it's like right. you got to scroll quite a ways to find that person with under five views and then some. So thank you for, you know, not only taking the time to, like, put this stuff together, but also putting hard-earned money on the table to not only give these people a platform but to also give them a cash incentive like that's that's huge on so many ways you're pretty much working a part-time job out of a labor of love and that's something that not only deserves a platform but also deserves a thank you so anytime that you're gonna put a tournament on you know just drop me a line I'll retweet it. I'll put it out. I'll mention it at the end of every episode. That's going to be, you know, coinciding with said thing. So that way we can get the word out because that's an amazing opportunity. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. Oh, it's no problem. But anyway, we've reached our time. Once again, we've had Gamer on. Great dude. Great tournaments. Great content. We'll put all his descriptions. We'll put all his links in the descriptions. Other than that, I'm the 8-Bit Nobody. It's Saturday. Go outside and touch some grass. Have a good one.